Welcome to Fine Rambles, number 161. Okay, here's a pet peeve of mine. When someone is presented with evidence for something and and they interpret it as evidence against that thing. I know what you're thinking. What the heck are you talking about? Well, uh, okay, so I think it might have been Cialdini who pointed out that when we're debating a topic, the, the discussion actually makes us believe our own side more. <laughs> so, so when we're exposed to a different point of view, our belief actually becomes more extreme. Why? Well, it's because we've been making our side's case. (laughs) We've been thinking of the best arguments for our side. We've been presenting those arguments as as cogently and convincingly as we can. And the result is, naturally, that we end up convincing ourselves. (laughs) So rather than modulating our opinion based on the arguments of the other side, we end up cementing our opinion based on our own arguments. And and this is why reverse psychology works. It's why steel manning is so important. But 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 this isn't <laughs> this is not what I'm describing. This is kind of tricky to explain. Let me use the topic of uh, nutrition, (laughs) of nutrition as an example. Now, I'm pretty convinced at this point that an animal-based diet is the way to go. Meat, fish, eggs, butter, dairy, liver, they're they're nutrient-dense, they're not processed, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) I'm also aware of how corrupt science has become. Replication crisis, research incentives, peer review circles, publication bias, yada, yada, yada. (laughs) So take those two together, and the result is when someone shows me disconfirming evidence, when they show me evidence against what I believe, well, I end up holding that evidence to a very high bar. And, you know, it's always possible to find something that falls short in evidence. It's easy, right? It's just an anecdote, or or the p-value is too high, or it was funded by industry, or, or the darn scientists did the experiment wrong, or there aren't enough double-blind RCTs with sufficient statistical power, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> worse comes to worse, I can always just assume that the person telling me the evidence is, is stupid or, or acting in bad faith. Clearly, they don't know what they're talking about. Clearly, they cherry-picked the evidence they're showing me. Clearly, they're part of a corrupt system. Heck, they probably still trust epidemiological evidence. They probably still trust those studies. Those fools. The result is I end up rejecting their evidence as, as incomplete or inaccurate or insufficient, whatever. Whatever. And if it's not perfectly and irrefutably right, 
well, then it must be wrong, which means it's actually evidence against their side. I mean, their evidence is so weak, it makes my argument stronger. After all, isn't this evidence the best they have? Wouldn't they put their best foot forward? Well, if this is their best argument and their best argument sucks, then logically their side is wrong and my side is right. Q-E-D. <laughs> now that's what I'm describing. <laughs> and it drives me up the wall sometimes because when I learn something that, you know, I think is important, I am so naive that I still try to convey what I learned to other people, even though I really should know better. <laughs> okay, all right. So I have a mantra, okay? And the mantra is this. You can't change anyone. They have to change themselves. You can't save anyone. They have to save themselves. You can't teach anyone. They have to teach themselves. Now, when I tell people this mantra, they they usually get upset because they're saying, well, Matt, so it's just useless to try to do anything? No. I mean, you can show where different choices lead. You can act as an example, as, as a role model. You can act the way that you think is appropriate. But they have to decide for themselves. And they can't just decide once, right? You have to decide to do the right thing continuously, at least for a while, until the change has become a habit, until the decision is no longer conscious, but, but automatic. Anyone who has decided to do something hard and then realize that they have to make that decision every time they want to do the hard thing, well, they'll understand. And in my experience, at least, change occurs when people get negative feedback from reality. Now, I don't know, maybe it takes a heart attack for someone to take their health seriously. Maybe it takes utter loneliness for someone to decide to put in the effort to be social. Maybe it requires the fear of poverty for someone to start applying themselves. And, you know, I always think of the story of David Goggins, who was an exterminator who would go in the middle of the night to fast food restaurants and spray for bugs. And he was living this life until one day he opened up some panel and literally there was a rain of cockroaches, just a rain of cockroaches that descended on him. And you know what? That was the negative feedback he needed. He went home, he quit his job, and he started to get in shape. He started to apply himself. I think that story shows that the wake-up call often has to be radical, right? right? The wake-up call isn't just a tap on a shoulder. It's an existential crisis. I mean, these are tumbles deep, deep into the underworld. And often, this is the tragedy, often people's first wake-up call breaks them, okay? They get dropped so deeply into the abyss that they break, they shatter, they're stuck, they can't climb out, they're, they're Sisyphus watching the boulder tumble back down the hill and they can't figure out a way to push it back up again. The, the dragon has grown so big while they weren't paying attention that they can't fight it, it just eats them. The heart attack kills, the loneliness kills, the poverty 
kills or or it serves as an absorbing barrier because our economy is non-ergotic. <laughs> I'll take random references for a hundred, Alex. And and they're stuck at zero forever. Here's a trick. Imagine something awful happening to you 15 years from now. The the divorce, the addiction, the diagnosis. Imagine future you asking themselves, what can I do about this? And and imagine future you realizing the best thing they can do is invent a time machine. (laughs) Invent a time machine. Go back in time 15 years and prevent the awful thing from happening in the first place. You you can kill baby Hitler. (laughs) Now imagine future you saying to themselves how amazing that would be to be able to fight the dragon when it was still small. How amazing to be able to start paying attention to your health before, before reality kicks you in the nuts with the heart attack. (laughs) How amazing it would be to be able to realize that hard work is necessary back when you were young and still had lots of energy. Realize you have that chance. You can put things right before they go wrong. Based on the reference point of your future self, you are in the past right now. You can still stop the problem before it occurs. And if you can anticipate your regret, you can avoid it. If you can predict your problem, you can solve it. Pay attention to reality. Pay attention to the feedback of reality. Now, this approach doesn't always work. (laughs) This approach doesn't apply in in extremistan as Nassim Taleb describes it, because in Extremistan, a single event is going to outweigh your entire cumulative experience up to that point. Think of, I don't know, think of Fukushima or, or Russian roulette. All the feedback you get is good until it's not. <laughs> and so you have to recognize when you're in Extremistan and get out, basically. Also, this approach doesn't apply to chronic problems that, that I guess I would say, develop incrementally, and you don't get that feedback. And here, I think of things like the impact of, of alcohol, maybe, or seed oils. And again, those types of problems require a different lens. But, <laughs> but, 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 I still think this lens is helpful. And it's not a lens that comes naturally to me, which is why I talk about it, because I have to keep the truth in front of me. I have to keep reminding myself, Matt, have the minor fight, take the small loss, acknowledge the the little ignorance, listen to the early feedback. Okay, I actually have a piece of news again this week. Christian and I are going to do another clubhouse on Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern. Last time we had some technical difficulties, but I promise this time, if you join, you will get a chance to speak. (laughs) On that note, that's all I've got, and I'll catch you hopefully on Wednesday.